This is the Ask a Death Doula podcast, a platform of free education on how to have the best end-of-life experience possible by knowing how to live your best life now. With experienced hospice, oncology, and wellness nurse, Suzanne B. O'Brien. everyone and welcome to this edition of Ask a Death Doula. My name is Suzanne O'Brien. You're going to love today's show. I am inspired by our guest on so many levels. So this is Dr. Karen Wyatt. She is a best-selling author of the books The Tao of Death and Seven Lessons for Living from the Dying. This book contains stories of patients she's cared for as a hospice doctor and the spiritual lessons she learned from them at the end of their lives. Dr. Wyatt also hosts End of Life University podcast, which is amazing, and it features conversations with experts who work in all aspects of end of life care. She is widely regarded as a thought leader in the effort to transform the way we care for our dying in the U.S. In addition, she is valued for her application of spiritual principles to illness and healthcare and teaches that in order to love, I'm sorry, to live and love life fully, we must each overcome our fear of death and embrace the difficulties that life brings us. Welcome, Dr. Karen Wyatt. Thank you, Suzanne. It's such a pleasure to be with you. It is wonderful to have you here. You are, again, somebody who I've looked up to and just watched the incredible work that you do for this movement for years now. So there's so much we want to talk about, but first I just want to share a little bit from you about your background and what brought you to this incredible place of being, again, a thought leader in the end-of-life space. Well, I started out in medicine as a family practice doctor. So I was I just okay. had my own clinic seeing family practice patients. And about three years into that, a tragedy struck my family when my father died by suicide. And it was absolutely devastating to me, of course, as his mm-hmm. daughter, but also as a doctor, because I was a person, I went to medicine with a belief in love and that love heals anything and everything, um, which was a little bit unusual in medicine in that day to have that belief system. And I'd also, I'd been trained to do behavioral health and to work with patients with depression. And so the fact that I couldn't save my own father, a person I loved more than anything, with my training, with all my love and all my knowledge, I couldn't save him from suicide. It it really destroyed me. And so I floundered in grief and guilt for a number of years. And finally, I got the inspiration that maybe I should try volunteering in hospice because I thought maybe I need to know more about death. I need to understand it. And I need to understand my own grief and what was happening to me. So I became a volunteer as a, a medical director, as a volunteer for a hospice absolutely fell in love with that work. The first time I visited a patient in their home, I knew in my heart, this is where I was supposed to be all along. This is the work I was supposed to be doing. And so I ended up ultimately 
becoming a full-time hospice director. And it was, it was just the best work I ever, ever could have been involved in. And so I got inspired during those years of working with hospice patients, though, to write a book one day. And so I knew for a number of years, eventually, I would write some of the stories and the lessons that I was learning from the patients. So incredible. That is so incredible. Thank you for that. And it's so interesting how what you say about how you felt about hospice and when you went there your first day almost mirrors exactly how I felt. Um, I've never felt more alive until I started working in end of life, which people can't really understand until we start sharing what that means. And I think it's so beautiful that again, you turn something that was ex like beyond painful, you know, I just can't even imagine into you know, listening and following what you needed to do and going into that and understanding that space of end of life and then this whole blossoming of, you know, your journey from that step forward. What an honor to your dad. What, what it, you know, yeah. Yeah, it's funny. When, um, when I originally wrote, I mean, the book that's coming out now is a, a new version of the mm -hmm. original book I wrote 10 years ago. But when, that, when my first copy of that book arrived in the mail, I opened the package and said, look what we did, dad. Ah. And that's, those are the words that came from my mouth. And I realized my dad had been my silent partner all along through all Absolutely. of this work. And that I, and you know, I, I wouldn't be here without the role my dad played in shifting me dramatically onto a new career path. So Absolutely. And I feel like that is something that we're going to talk about when we talk about the book is that the experiences we have, even the painful ones, sometimes the most painful ones are our greatest gifts on how we can transform and learn and move forward. Um, so I, again, I appreciate every experience that I've had, everyone that's been a part of that, whether again, it, it, it presented as a negative perceived one or positive. Um, but what an honor to, you almost had me crying here on the podcast. What a beautiful thing to say. And it's so true that your dad is such a wonderful uh, teacher in all of this. Yes. So let's talk about when you got to hospice and we love hospice. Hospice is one of the most beautiful models of care. Um, we're really challenged in end of life in our world right now. You know, I used to say our country, United States, but it's really global because so many things are westernized. And even though we both felt so at peace and connected to being in that hospice state space, I think we both saw that there were gaps with this whole dis, uh, association with death being a part of uh, the journey of life with patients and with the whole system. So can you speak to that a bit, please? Yes. Even when I, when I was in hospice, one thing I observed was feeling estranged somewhat from the rest of the medical profession. Mm -hmm. And when I would go to medical meetings and talk about the fact that I'm doing hospice now, being treated as if, well, you're not, that's not really medicine. You're not really a doctor. I mean, we're supposed to be keeping people from dying and you're, you know, so I, I definitely felt that a, yeah. a gap there in perception of what hospice does. And particularly, I think in some ways within hospice, I was in a bit of a bubble because you know, when you do this work day in and day out every day mm -hmm. and are so 
entrenched in it, I didn't realize how resistant our society was to it <laughs> until I wrote a book, actually, and then started trying to talk to people about it. And then I discovered no one wants to hear about this whatsoever. I was a little bit shocked because all of the patients and their families who were in hospice were open to it. So yeah. I, I was I was a little oblivious to how resistant the rest of our society was to talking about death and dying. Yeah, I agree with you. So let's go back to our doctors for a minute, because I think we have to really understand this. It's super important to know that there are a few of the variables as why we are so disconnected and have a dysfunctional relationship with end of life. And one of them is that we've told our doctors in the last 80 to 100 years, we've taught them how to fix it. We've said, and we've made huge medical advances. This is how you keep somebody alive. And we can keep people alive for a very long time, but being alive and living are two very different things. And we haven't given them the tools or the permission to know that end of life is a natural part of the patient's journey. But not only that, that there is so much that they can do in that space to support that person and family. So for me, because my background is oncology nurse and hospice nurse, when my doctors had an end-of-life experience with their patient, even if it was somebody who was 99, they literally felt like they failed. And I thought, what have we done with this messaging? Oh, it's so it's really mm -hmm. tragic, actually, mm -hmm. because I think one of the reasons a lot of doctors are burning out right now yeah. is because they do feel like they've failed when yes. a death happens and because they haven't been able to, to embrace the full spectrum of life from birth through death yes. and see that you know, there's only so much we can do. There's yeah. this, and there comes a time when it is the normal process for a person to be dying. And if, if they could embrace that and not take, take it on as some personal mission to prevent that from happening. Which is 100%. That, yeah, it's impossible to do that. <laughs> it's impossible. It's, it's, it's such a setup. And right. they find it so gratifying and beautiful if they could be part yeah. of that experience. Absolutely. So we, we love our doctors. You know, we look up to our doctors. We listen to our doctors. And if we could, again, bring them into this space of having this be a natural part of the journey for us, not a failure. And yet there's so much they can do because as we both know, holistically and close symptom management and just bearing witness to somebody who's going through that, holding that space for them is like the best medicine that we have. So on so many levels, I think as a society, we have to really look at what we've done to our doctors and medical system because you're right, they're burning out for not only that, but like for the reason that they have to see a million people and, and all of that. Um, very, very important. So I think we really have to do our work in that space. And then you said another thing about when you got to hospice and it is, it's the most beautiful energy and love and connection. And then when you go outside to share that with people, they're like, oh, you know, we don't want to talk about that. And I was the same way. I grew up in a medical family who was very open about illness. You know, I've heard about it since I was a child. So I knew that everyone wasn't really talking about it, but I sure didn't know that it was as backwards as it was. And I felt the same way. I thought, my gosh, um, what are we going to do here? Because that denial is leading to very challenging end of life. 
Exactly. And I believe it's, it's medical professionals who should be leading the way for their yeah. patients. They should be educating their patients all along and yeah. helping their patients face up to the fact that we can't fix everything. We can't, we, it's beyond us. It's, it's not even meant to be that we could fix everything. So I will work with you. We'll, we're a team. We'll work together as much as we can, but there will be a day when we have to accept what comes and what happens and I'll still be on your team when that day exactly. comes. Exactly. I love that. So I've often thought that our language that we're using within the medical system is again really we have to be careful. You know, I'm sorry there's no more I can do for you. Lost our battle with. I mean, I again we have to look at that. There's so much we can do, but I agree with you that I thought on wellness visits and on your annual visit, the doctor should say, and remember there's going to come a day when we shift our focus from you know, I don't like the word aggressive either, but with like, you know, extending or whatever they want to do to close symptom supportive management. That sounds really nice to me. I'm like, oh, somebody's going to really watch me. So when I come in there one day and she says, do you remember the time that we talked about, we kept talking about one day, today's the day. And what we're going to do is we're going to do this whole program of close symptom management. It should really be this kind of natural thing that we all anticipate ahead of time. Yes, far ahead of time. Yeah. I have I have a friend who's an emergency room doctor who told me she often she draws for patients a map and she calls it the map of life and it starts with birth and it ends with death mm -hmm. and she said you have to understand that you're on this journey, you're on mm -hmm. this trajectory, but someday you're going to be on this side of the map. And so you have to know that and be prepared yeah. for that and it's like that's brilliant. That's how simple it is. It's to so actually just, just tell people. And I think that that leads us a great um, segue into your book because life is a journey. And there are so many things, again, that you and, I, you and I have talked about, about listening to the wisdom. I call it they get their spiritual eyes. You know, these beautiful end of life um, patients who share their perspective again, looking back at the whole life's journey, and we all have ups and downs, and we all have things that happen. And I believe that all of them are perfectly synchronized for each individual that we're supposed to have these. So again, when we look at that whole map that you just talked about from that doctor, it's so simple and so beautiful. And I think what your message in this book is exactly the same, to share with people that there are ups and downs, there's gonna be difficulties, and where do you find your strength, and what are those universal laws that we all have globally? Because if we can get back to those foundations, we're gonna see our world heal. So let's talk about your book. What was, again, the moment that you decided, I need to put pen to paper, I need to do this, and um, how did that come about? Well, I was talking with one of our patients one day who was, um, he had been a very successful banker and had lots and lots of money, many, many material possessions, very successful in his life, but was miserable in life because he was estranged from his wife and son, lived alone. And as he was going through the dying process, he was recognizing, what have I, what have I done with my life? And, and one day he said, I just figured out what really matters in life and it is love. And he said, but I waited too long to the very end. And he said, 
not only have I, have I wasted the love that I had in my life, but he said, now I don't even have enough time to tell other people what mm. I've learned. And then he looked at me and he said, would you write my story one day? Would you tell people Beautiful. what I've learned? And in that moment, I thought, that is what I'm supposed to do. I'm gathering all these stories yeah. that they, our patients don't have the voice for the time to right. teach everyone what they know. But if I could speak for them and put their stories in words, at least I could honor them and honor all the teachings that I gained from them. That's so beautiful, Karen. And I think that again, you know, death is the second leading fear in the United States and plenty of other places. I think it bumped up to number one since the pandemic happened. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And public speaking's number two. Or, so we just share that. Um, people have not seen end of life, you know, really in the last 60, 80 years because we've kind of outsourced our elderly, which again, we're talking about one of the greatest tools on how to live our life correctly with this wonderful wisdom from this gentleman who shared that and we've literally pushed that resource away not only that but from an ethical moral standpoint standpoint just the way we're caring for people or not caring for our elderly properly that we really have to take a look at this um, on many levels but i think that again for you and i and people who've been privileged to be in that space working at the bedside with end-of-life patients to share those bedside experiences and exactly the message that you're sharing really helps people to say, wait a minute, maybe I shouldn't be afraid and maybe I should listen to this gentleman. Because for me, I always say that, you know, they have, they're not trying to sell you anything. They have nothing to gain by, you know, there's no motive there other than pure heart centered connection. Yes. And, and for me, one thing that was so powerful, having come into hospice with carrying this huge burden of grief and guilt over yeah. my dad's death, I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't know how to make that fit into my life. And recognizing from watching them and how gracefully they carried having a terminal illness and approaching death very rapidly, I, it, that's when it suddenly became clear to me that, oh, wait, this pain is just a part of life. This is, this is all contained within a normal, natural, happy, wonderful, beautiful life. And even the pain that I was feeling, I suddenly realized it belongs here. It belongs in my life. I'm trying to get rid of it, and it belongs in my life because it's teaching me things, and it's helping me be a better yeah. person. And you can transmute that energy into that productive way of healing. Um, so beautiful. That is, that, is, that is absolutely incredible. Yeah, it's like our end-of-life patients and our, you know, our teachers um, on, on so many powerful levels. I remember coming out of an oncology um, room because I had seven patients at one time. And it was just, an, and again, most end-of-lifes are, are not going as well as they could go. Let's just put it that way. And I remember walking out of this room where this person was dying and just the family surrounding them, just it happened organically. And the energy in that room, you know, this is in my younger years. And I literally came out and I, and I was so moved by the beauty and love. And I said, if people knew about that, if they knew end of life could be like that, they would never be afraid of it. So this is a, so important for us to talk about. Oh, yes, absolutely. There were so many times that I, I felt that same power. It was the power of love and forgiveness, all of which become possible more than ever during those last months and days of yes. life. Yeah. And 
and the beauty of it. And it, and it happens rapidly. I, I just thought I was thinking of families who sometimes have been carrying resentment toward one another for mm-hmm. 20 years. Suddenly mm-hmm. it's like instantaneous almost. You can see them heal before your very eyes and see them forgive one another and yeah. reunite. It's amazing, but it's a wonderful gift that most people don't don't realize is available to us. Right, exactly. So we want to share with them what what that they can do now to uh, capitalize on their lives. So what I also noticed is that there were so many um, recurring things that end of life patients will say about the awareness and the journey um, in different countries, different cultures, which really was like fascinating. And it's interesting you say it's almost like for 20, 30 years of holding on to grudges and it almost happens like instantly or rapidly. And, I, and, I, and my theory on that is that I feel like their spiritual part of their being is growing as they get closer to that end of life, allowing for this diffu- diffusal of the ego and the, the anger and more love to come so that they can. But when you see that transformation of forgiveness, it's like, why didn't we do that 20 years ago? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I, I have had a number, a number of patients say that to me, like, yeah. oh my gosh, like this feels amazing. You mean I could have, I could have been free of all of that anger and negativity for all these years. That's the other thing that compelled me to want to write about right. it. Yeah. And that's something that changed for me dramatically because I realized I could actually start working on forgiveness every day right now and try to let go of some of those burdens and not carry it with me over the years. Yeah. So we're going to get into your book and some of the lessons for sure. And just let's hold on to forgiveness for a minute. Cause I think again, that we, this is part of the journey and people have to realize that there's forgiveness of others and there's forgiveness of ourselves, And those are two different things. And the universal law of non-judgment so, because no, this is what patients will say at the end, there's no judgment. We're all connected to one unconditional loving energy. That means you too. So when you want to step into your forgiveness, we really don't have the right to judge other people, nor do we have the right to be judged. So it's a beautiful, beautiful bubble to be in when you're going to start to work those steps. Yeah. So let's yes. talk about this book. Tell okay. me about this new book. And I know it's the seven lessons and just... Tell me about, again, the, the premise for it, and then we're going to share some of the stories. Okay. Here it is. Yay! Show it. We're going to put <laughs> it all. One, I have Beautiful. One copy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the printers, printers aren't working right now because of the pandemic, so it's only available in ebook. but I got one copy before everything shut down. Yay! <laughs> um, okay. Well, so, so over time, as mm-hmm. I gathered all these stories for my patients, it occurred to me that... I was really learning like universal mm-hmm. ancient wisdom that what yeah. was happening is that they were learning the, this ancient wisdom that had been taught yes. by spiritual teachers for mm-hmm. centuries. And, but they were learning it in modern day times and in, mm-hmm. in, in the way that they could grasp the lessons. And mm-hmm. so it propelled me to learn a little bit more, to start studying more wisdom texts from the past mm-hmm. and learn spiritual wisdom and and gradually these lessons began to coalesce the Mm -hmm. seven lessons that I saw people working on and that I became aware of in my own life that that I needed to work on as Mm -hmm. well and needed to to go through my own process of 
of learning about this spiritual wisdom. So that over time, it became clearer and clearer that that the way I would, what I was learning from my patients were these seven different lessons. And I don't know if you want me to talk about. Sure, please, if you could share some of some of them. Yeah. The first, and the, I think the thing that I started learning initially was about suffering in general. And that included my guilt and grief that I was trying to understand in my life and just making room in our lives for difficulties and pain and suffering and knowing that they will, that will always come. It's part of life and it's actually suffering is one of our greatest teachers. Therefore we shouldn't wish it away. And yet we live in a society that it's all about pleasure and joy and and buying more things and having more fun experiences Mm -hmm. and resisting the difficulties that come along. Of course, one thing about this pandemic is that it took a lot of our options away. (laughs) We're all sitting here, you know, with a lot fewer options for how do we continually find pleasures in life. We're reduced down to the the very basics of life, getting up and making a cup of coffee in the morning. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's been a really good thing for us. But for me, I needed to embrace that because I said that I was practicing medicine from the aspect of love and that Mm -hmm. love is what would heal patients. But because I was young and naive at that time, I didn't, I thought that love could make suffering go away. And I didn't understand that suffering is part of love and they come together and part of life. That's what I was learning at that time. And once I figured that out, I could go back to the next lesson, which is, which is love and the power Mm -hmm. of love. Um, to trans- yeah, I want to I want to stay with suffering for a minute because I think this is so important that people get this because we're we're living in such a time in our lives that there's so much suffering and we witness on the news and so again we've talked again about love and fear being really the two energies that are out there but let's talk about the suffering for a second and the ability for it to bring about an accelerated spiritual growth or a lesson learned because if we can change our perception of the pain and suffering and know and I think it's so important that what you said is that it's a part of the journey it's included in all of our journeys we just sort of it shows up in different ways at different times for all of us but everyone has it um and to make friends with it it's yes yeah and I also think, again, from being a practitioner, I think that you can relate to this, is that we're not here to fix it for people. We're not supposed to take it away, even though we want to. Like Initially, of course, you want people. But to bear witness and have that compassion and empathy is so incredibly powerful and healing um, while they're going through their journey. Yes, absolutely. And I think to go back to our earlier point about uh, Western medical practitioners are not trained to be present with suffering, to embrace suffering and to, to see it as a valuable part of the journey. They're trained to try to eliminate suffering. And that's so we go astray right from the very beginning right. and also <laughs> encourage our patients to go go down that path as well. Yeah. It's like suffering is a indication that there is something that needs to be, you know, shifted, whatever that is. And pain is also, and so first of all, our doctors don't have the time to really, again, bear witness. But when we're covering up all the symptoms as a Western society doing what we do with medical, we're not getting to the root 
of where that pain is originating from. And when we can get to the root and the seed and transform it, um, for that, then it can go away and transmute. But we don't give anyone the opportunity um, because we're quickly just putting band-aids on stuff. Yes, exactly, exactly. So beautiful. So you t we talked about the suffering. So let's talk about love because I got to tell you, it's all there is and it's everything. Um, and it really is the key. And I think if people understand, again, I think it's very helpful that there's no judgment, uh, that this is, we're all part of this journey with all of it in order to learn to love unconditionally. Um, so can you speak to that? Because I love that you came into medicine with love was going to be your medicine to heal. And it actually is, Karen. I know you had to go through the whole thing, but, <laughs> but it is. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I, I had that inspiration when I was 16. Beautiful. And um, so from then on, I kind of understood my purpose is to learn about love and medicine will be my career. And that's how I will learn about love and I'll bring love to my medical practice. So, but that was a very unusual yes. way of the world for a 16 year old and I did find it was when once I got into medical school and I I tried talking about that idea at the very beginning of medical school and realized everyone thought I was completely crazy and off the wall for the things I was saying so I knew right away like this doesn't fit here <laughs> so I suddenly knew okay I have to get into just this rational scientific mode and look at all the science and not tell people what I know but even as a medical student I would go back and spend extra time with patients because mm -hmm. I just felt it I felt yeah. like I they need me they need to spend more time telling their story not just answering this checklist of questions that I'm going yeah. through you know in the review of systems and so I would go back and spend more time with patients I was trying to cultivate that sense of, of love, of sharing love back and forth with patients as a student. But I was all on my own in that. Yeah. There was no support, of course, for that whatsoever. Yeah, but um, I think what's happening now, one, there's so many gifts, obviously, which is hard to, again, even when I say it, you know, I'm thinking of everything that's going on and I'm saying, how could you say there are gifts? You know, but there are. And I think one of the things that really, it's like a pot of boiling water that's just going to the top and it's really forcing us to take a look at what's important and get rid of the stuff and really, um, again, come to, and I think this love concept is being embraced on one side within all different aspects of the world because that's the truth. Yeah. Yes. And as we're going through some suffering together mm -hmm. as an entire planet, I think love keeps rising to the surface over and over and over again. There aren't any other answers. There isn't anything else to do. And, so, and suddenly people start to recognize that, that, oh, maybe I'll just show kindness <laughs> to my neighbors. And, and yeah. I, that, that's all that, that we're able to do right now. So in a way, it's it's perfect for this process of trying to learn to love more. And I, yeah. I, I can say, even though I started at 16, I've spent my whole life learn, still learning about love, still learning more, still discovering more about how to love myself better so that sure. I can love other people better. And yeah. seeing all the ways in which I don't love all the times when I'm not as loving as I would like to think I am. And so so it's yeah. infinite. There's so much to learn. Absolutely. And not to beat yourself up about that. The awareness is the first step. But I love when you said that right now, all we can offer one another basically is our kindness and our, and 
that's all we can offer, but that might be the most powerful thing we could ever give each other. You know, I live in New York City and I live on a beautiful block and I'm meeting so many people just in a passing of the clap at seven o'clock or walking my dog from a distance that are really seeing each other. You know, people that have lived here for years, I'm finally getting to meet because everyone was just doing their own thing, blindlessly going through it. This is the, the richness. And also, what about the kindness to the planet? And kindness to animals, you know, bring it back to those basics. So, so beautiful your messaging, and I think your time has definitely come with the love. <laughs> with the love as medicine. Um, so, let's talk about another lesson from the book. Well, the the next lesson in the book is forgiveness, which we talked about already. But I see it as really a component of love because yeah, the more we love, the more we're pulled to to recognize. Oh, well, then I. I have to forgive. If I love unconditionally, I simply, I can't, I cannot hold on to these resentments. So like that this other person, I may have been hurt, but I understand, I still love that person and I understand no one's perfect. And so yeah. they, really, they really come together. As soon as you start to embrace love, the need to forgive people For sure. comes up. And yeah. so they go hand in hand. And I, and I yeah. go ahead. I was say, I would say that was probably the most universal lesson I saw with all of my patients. Everyone, everyone at the end of life was talking about how do I forgive someone or how do I feel yeah. forgiven and forgiveness? Yes, a thousand percent. So the people who I have been uh, privileged again to see that forgiveness be, and it's most, and hopefully all, all people, but again, um, when I've seen the forgiveness play a role in that end of life, the transformation of energy has been just almost, you can't describe it. The love, the release, um, the joy. It's, it's just, it's, and we can do this today, you and I, and it's on a daily, it's on a, you know, we have to small and big and all of those things. So I, I love that, that you have highlighted that for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and, and the next lesson that kind of grew from that was learning how to be in the present moment. And I discovered that forgiveness is key for that as well, because if we don't forgive, we stay stuck in the past. We keep reliving something that happened a long time ago yeah. and, and nurturing all of our anger and hurt feelings and resentment Ooh. instead of just yes. here, living here right now, seeing what's in front of us. And I think people have to understand that forgiveness is for you. It's not about the other person at all. It's about you. So I kind of share with people that unforgiveness is like having a backpack with 40 pound weights and you're going uphill all of the time. You know, it's draining your energy to let that go. And, and it's so important for you. And again, coming from the place of love is that everyone is doing their best um, and it's so ironic to me that sometimes people who you've had an issue with and you're holding on to anger for 30 years ago have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. I, I hear this all the time. People yeah. say, well, if I forgive that person, then I'm letting them off the hook. Yeah. It's yeah. like you assume that your resentment has power over them. It doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't. Just over you. Just over you. They're yeah. in their own world. They're on their own path. They're dealing with their own suffering and their own issues. 
and you are it's not your job to punish someone and sure. you're only punishing yourself if you believe that you are punishing someone else right and I also think there is a lesson for all of us in every single thing that we experience so for me from again a loving place what can I learn from that experience so in addition to giving forgiveness is there a lesson there for me to learn maybe it's how I never want to act that I don't want to ever act like that person acted um, towards anyone else you know whatever it may be yeah but compassion yes. and love yeah very important so beautiful. Okay. Another lesson that you want to share? So, okay. So we talked about just being in the present moment, which okay, that's super has, important, right? has been one of the biggest gifts for me I'm, that I'm okay. still working on, still yeah. working on remembering to be where I am and notice where I am instead of thinking about the future or staying stuck in the past. And I, I think it's huge. That was something I, and so many times I was in awe of my patients as I watched how they enjoyed every single moment of their yes. last weeks of life and they didn't want to waste anything. So when they were with a loved one, they were truly present and truly listening and sharing and or watching the sunset or eating an ice cream cone. And I, it was clear to me that I didn't live that way at all at that time. I, yeah. I was never really in the present moment, never fully enjoying what was happening right now. So that's been a huge lesson for me. Okay, so people need to hear this for sure because this is, this is it. So the present moment is the perfect moment and it's all we truly know. So if we're living in the past, which again, our world is not living in the present moment and that's what we're seeing, this complete disconnect of energy. So the past is usually full of regret, resentment, anger. The future is of anxiety and worry and we're bombarded with things to keep us out of the present moment so it really is a practice that we need to start bringing back how do i get the access to this moment and it really it's a vibration and an energy um and when you do and and, and i really want to share this because i think this is again i want you to speak to this this is a tool that people can use within times of trauma and great stress which we're all going through globally right now there have been moments and i and i practice these that i am able to it's like an access point for me, able to access that present moment fully with some techniques, with meditation, sitting in the sun, creating awareness of my senses where I have so much joy and bliss within a world that we're living in, which is so full of pain and suffering. I'm not saying that I'm not part of that. I am absolutely part of that. I want to help do whatever I can and I'm affected. But there are those moments that I'm able to be in that present moment that I don't feel the suffering and it's a beautiful thing because I feel so connected yes yes definitely and that's that's the key to it yeah. because one thing I observed is the, the more we're in the present moment it's as if we're stringing together all of these moments and teaching ourselves that actually life is really beautiful it's full of creativity and love in the present moment but when my mind wanders off to the future and i'm thinking oh what's going to happen how will things be next week or next month or what you know when will this change or, or what will happen i you spin off into right. into negative emotions and fearful energy and then there's no room for the love yeah. and peace that we want to feel 
And one tool that helps me always is to take a deep breath and focus on my breath because breath is in the present moment. We're breathing in this moment. And when I stop and notice my breath and really focus on breathing in and out, it's like it instantly gets me out of that mental space where I was worrying about everything. That is beautiful. And another thing that I do that's so easy for me is to sit in nature and just listen, you know, listen to the birds, feel the sun and just really try and connect with that. It's, it's again, a way for me to instantly access um, and listening to your breath is another tool. And this is something that people can do within minutes and they can use this. And even if you can step into that alignment, what I call alignment, a couple of times a day, it is so grounding and healthy and you can access it anytime you want. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And it changes everything the moment you get back into the, into it the does. space. Um, a friend of mine taught me something to say, oh, yes, all of these things could happen. Yes, that could happen. But right now, I'm okay. Right now, in this moment, everything's fine. And so I started doing, right now, mm -hmm. I'm okay because the sun's shining and it's a beautiful day. Mm -hmm. Right now, I'm okay because I have a roof over my head and I mm -hmm. have plenty of food to eat and I'm making a wonderful dinner tonight that I'm going to enjoy. Mm -hmm. You know, so yeah. just that reminder that in this moment, where we are right now, it's perfect. It's, it's perfect. Everything and and yourselves hear and listen to what you're going to tell them. So if you're going to be in that fear, worry, angry place, they're going to pick that up, your nervous system. And if you say, we're, I'm okay, we're okay, it, it really does. It's amazing the energy uh, shift that it makes. And again, these are things that people can do within minutes for themselves. Yes, yes, absolutely. And that's what I would say. I'm, st I'm still working on trying to be in the present moment as much as possible full time. I mean, I'd, I'd love to be there. I'm not. <laughs> but yeah. just but learning, as you were saying, how important it is to be aware and to recognize every time I slip out yes. and slip into fearful thinking yeah. or, or regret or anger or something to remind right. myself, oh, you don't need to be there be here <laughs> yeah yeah loving yourself for that too and you can bring back and i think again gratitude is one of the quickest ways um to energetically shift and it's such a high vibration and i've never been so grateful for like the cup of coffee in the morning and the roof over my head like every day we start out like that it's the simple things and just all the beautiful great things we're seeing in the world of kindness and compassion you know coming together yes yeah. Yes. Right now, I would say what's helping me the most, I, 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 can, only, I can only take in so much news yeah. without counterbalancing that with reading Correct. about the love and the beauty and mm -hmm. the kindness that's being shown all yes. around the world. Yes. Yes. And again, the love will always prevail, but it's, uh, it's going to be a process for us all to be on board. Um, and having compassion for people that you don't agree with. Um, this is something really important for us to know because it can be so disturbing, some of the things we're seeing and hearing. And if we come at it with anger, that doesn't, we have to observe it. We have to know what's happening, but we also have to send love to this situation as well, which I know can seem really hard to understand what I'm saying, but that's the only way we're really going to shift it is if we can do that. It's so true. Even when we see other people who are behaving in a hateful mm -hmm. manner um, or a, a, a 
people we don't agree with, people we don't like. We still need to be able to return to love in our own hearts because that's the only way we can stay at peace. And it's the only way we can spread peace and love to the rest of the world. We can't descend to that similar place of anger and hatred. We have to constantly pull ourselves back to the present moment and to the love that we're capable of feeling right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. Um, So let's share another lesson if you'd like. And then again, people are going to want to get this book. And I I just want to like talk about the book in general and where they can find it. But do you want to share another one or two lessons that you really want to highlight for for those of us? Okay. Well, one was understanding purpose, the purpose of life, because I see so many people who Um, are struggling, wondering like, well, what's my purpose? What will my career path be? What will I be doing for my job? Uh And what what came clear to me after sitting with my patients and then looking back at my life experiences too, is that that we really have a purpose here that's more spiritual. The purpose of of even being here on the planet is Mm -hmm. to learn and grow and to Mm -hmm. learn about love. And if we embrace Mm -hmm. that as our overall purpose, what we do for our career and our job doesn't matter so much. It, it's, it matters that we pick something that we're, that we're good at, that we enjoy, that we feel fulfilled by, but we have an, an overarching purpose that's way bigger than just the job we do. That helped me so much in medicine to remember, like I'm here learning about so many, many things besides mm-hmm. medicine. I'll mm-hmm. practice medicine and I'll be doing that, but it, the medicine I'm practicing is in service of everything else I came here to learn. And then it helped me tolerate the ups and downs or when I lost a job and had Mm -hmm. to go find another job. It's like, Oh, okay, well I'm done learning at that job. I'll go find a different one. And now I keep learning what I need to learn there. Oh, I love that. Because if we pull back, if we really pull back to what I call our highest self and awareness and look at all of this, there is something again that's so peaceful within that because we know the big meaning of learning to love and all being connected and oneness, right? And so that's in all these lessons that we go through, but when we know that there's that bigger picture, all of, again, the daily kind of ups and downs and things don't have the weight um, that they do. And also I love that we're all in this together in this beautiful energetic place. And if you're hurting across the world, I'm hurting. I don't want you to hurt and I want to bear witness and I want to send you love and compassion Um, and the planet and the animals and all of that. I mean, it really is like you're like what you said, lose a job, get a job. Um, But every opportunity that you have in life is that bigger mission of sharing love and learning to love in all of it. Beautiful. Yes. And when you carry that with you, that helps you, that just helps you ride through the ups and downs Mm -hmm. and tolerate all the things that come along in life and to even have a philosophy of, oh, well, you know what, I'm going to let that go. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm done with that now and I'm waiting for the next thing and I will do the best with it. And maybe that's something relevant. You know, lots of people now, right now are unemployed and probably wondering what will I do, what's coming, but just remember, Remember, any job out there is never your full purpose in life. That's not really what you came here for to do that particular job. Right. Just here, you're here to learn how to love and you you can learn it on any other job that that comes along. I love that. And also there is a 
internal guidance system that you have, when you again are in that present moment alignment, it's very clear your direction and always honoring that because it is not something that's analytical. Um, it's a knowing and that will always bring you to the place that you're supposed to go. And so people will ask me, well, how do I know if I'm, you know, doing the right thing or if this is the right move for me? And I said, does it feel hard? Does it feel uncomfortable? Are you stressed? Then it's not the right move. You know, when you think of it, if something is flowing and seems easy and connected, like you and I talked about our first day at hospice, it was like the last piece of the puzzle and like this bright light popped out. That's, that's what you want to follow, um, the flow. And that goes with people and jobs and, and everything in your life. I love it. Yeah, so true. Yeah. And yet most of us, most people are unaware of it. I They're know. unaware. They might feel the spark at times, but they don't know what it means or, yeah. or understand how to follow it. And so yeah. for me, that was another key lesson mm. of recognizing, you know, let the jobs come and go. It doesn't yep. matter. And um, just be ready for the next thing, whatever is there. And know that I am going to keep learning no matter what happens or what oh. comes. Gosh, can we teach our children that in school, in elementary school? You know, this is a great opportunity, too, to rewrite some of the education system, if not all of it. Because if we, if we teach children the kindness and volunteer and all of these universal laws from day one, and like you said, I love that. Let the jobs come and go. When is the last time we ever heard that? You know what I mean? But it's so, <laughs> but it's so true because right now we define everyone by what they look like, what job they have, how much, how big is their house. This is all false. You know, at the beginning we started today about the goal of life and things of that nature. And so we've literally been set up to shoot for the goals that are all wrong. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, it's, yeah. it's so true. And then on our deathbeds, we suddenly yeah. have clarity and recognize like, oh, wait, it isn't even, it isn't about any of those things that I thought that I thought were important. That's what felt tragic to me is, yeah. it, can't we come to yeah. this realization earlier in life? Yes. And many of my patients said to me, wow, it would have changed everything if I had understood this before and wondering how come I didn't, how come I didn't know this because no one right. was there to teach, no one was there to teach them. But you are, and you're here now to do that. And you just gave me chills with the last thing that you said, because it's so true that, you know, their time was at the end, but you are carrying this torch and this gift that can change people's lives can help them to really, again, find that peace, serenity, and connection that we're all seeking. So Karen, please tell us how we can get this book. All right. Well, it is being released on May 12th, and it will be on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Google Books online. It's because right now bookstores are closed in a lot of places. Yeah. So not in print yet, but it's available okay. as an ebook for right now. And it's Seven Lessons for Living from the Dying. Uh, but but people can buy it online. They can even pre-order it before the twelfth and um, and get the start with the ebook for right now. The publisher yep. made it a reasonable price, and people can go back and get the print book later if they'd like to have have a hard copy of it on hand. Perfect, perfect. So I'm going to put the link below so you can click and just go right now and get that ebook. I will tell you that this is everything that I believe in from day one, and wanting to get out and share you know, these messages from incredible, these incredible teachers at the end of life and putting it all in perspective can again, when somebody's at the end of life and they say, I get it now, 
but my life's over now. We want to share with people because we're all seeking and we all want to be happy and you can be. So this book is an incredible resource. So are you, Dr. Karen Wyatt. I want to thank you so much for being a guest today on Ask a Death Doula. Oh, thank you, Suzanne. It's been such a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you so much. And our work is to be continued. So everyone, you can click the link below, get the book, and we'll see you in the next episode. All right, everybody. See you next time. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of Ask a Death Doula. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a raving review. Subscribe, share, and send your questions. See you in the next episode.